Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. You know, before I talk about some of the other things, we need to thank all the people for the last eight or nine years, I think it's been since we've been here, and even longer than that, the people who have been coming here early, unloading the trailer. We've got Val, we've got Gil, we've got Mario, we've got Dennis, we've got Denise, we've got Beth, we've got Rick, we've got, I'm missing others who, yeah, Sherry, and there are so many of you who have come and just selflessly helped week in and week out. And I am humbled by your service and tireless energy. It is an example to me. And I think something that we are unaware of, but we so appreciate you. And I applaud all of you who have done this. Uh, Gil made out a little sheet of our history, our traveling history, which is kind of funny. We've actually been stable now longer than we've ever been. (laughs) That's funny. Um, 2008 was when we started Genesis. It was our inaugural year, year, and it started January 25th, our first home study at John and Tammy Ellis' house in Fontana. How many of you were there at that first one? Look at you. March 12th, we filed our papers with the state of California for official church status. March 23rd, which was Easter 2008, we had our first Sunday service in the Ellis backyard. It was a windy Sunday morning. I remember that. And it was like, okay, we can't do this every Sunday. And then in May 7th, we moved our Friday night study to Wednesday nights, again, at the Ellis Home. May 11th, on Mother's Day, we had our first Sunday service at Pioneer Junior High School up further in Upland. And then December 4th, we moved our Wednesday, our Wednesday night Bible study at the Ellis' home. Or we moved, hold on, I missed one. Uh, May 7th, we moved Friday night study to Wednesday night because we started doing Sundays And then May, we moved to Pioneer, December 4th. Our Wednesday nights uh, moved to Thursday nights at Pioneer. And then 2009, we had to move out of Pioneer Junior High because they were re uh, What do you call it? 
renovating. That's the word I'm looking for, renovating. They were renovating it, so we ended up moving from there to Magnolia Recreation Center across the way here. And we moved our Thursday night studies from the Ellis Home to Pioneer, also um, to our home. And we were at our house from 2009 to November 2010 until we got the Genesis building. 2011, we moved from Magnolia Recreation Center to here, and now we are moving to the Genesis building. And so a lot of moving going on, but hopefully there is more movement taking place within us than outside of us. We are going to put a social media flyer together talking about our new location and new time that we will share, and I encourage all of you who are on social media to also share, right? So that your friends who you interact with will know, oh, look at their meeting now at the Genesis building at 10 a.m. And then my friends will know that, and then your friends will know that, and then all our friends will be able to be there. I do remember a few times people coming up to me and saying, where are you guys? You moved, and I don't know where you're at. And it's like, oh, because we moved from so many places in a short period of time, and we don't want that to happen. So hopefully we'll make things available so everyone can find us. Okay. I'm going to keep things short this morning. (laughs) Yay. And I'm... Again, veering from our Woven in Gospel series, which I really am loving, by the way. I was going to do John chapter 10. I'm going to talk about shepherds and that perspective from John and the other Gospels at another time. But I wanted to take a little break as this move is taking place and just share a few things with you. Open, if you can, uh, to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. It's a story that we're familiar with. It's something that we actually looked at in John's gospel, chapter 2. But I want to look at it here and tie it into just not only what's happening, but why we do what we do and something that's been a part of, I think, our fabric for a long time. In John 11, starting at verse 15 And they, which is Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. A familiar story where Jesus clears the temple and he quotes from both Isaiah and Jeremiah where he says that it's to be a house of prayer for all people, for all the nations. And That's an important part because where they were selling the things that they were using to, whether it's the pigeons and the things, the coins that they had to use, they were making a profit so that people could worship. But where they were doing that, where they were selling these things was in the outer court or the court of the Gentiles, it was called. And this is where people could come if they were not Jewish to worship. They couldn't go into the inner court because that was only for the Jewish people, but they were allowed to worship God from the outside. 
And that's where Jesus does this cleansing because he says this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And throughout scripture, we see this trajectory that when God is trying to move his people and all humanity towards a future, towards a kingdom that looks like one that God would rule, that there is a goal in mind and it is to bring to unity all of humanity, right? The early time in their worship of God, we saw them build a tabernacle. It was tents and poles and it was very exacting. The colors that they were supposed to use for the fabric and the thread and the measurements and how they were supposed to worship. And it was very restrictive in a lot of those sense because this is where God dwelt among his people. But then we see in Second Chronicles chapter 6, starting at verse 18, Solomon is dedicating the temple and he says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer of your servant prays before you that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So Solomon and the prophets as well start to move that God is not restricted to this one space, the holy, the holies. He's not restricted to be worshiped just in the tabernacle. The heavens can't contain him, but this is the place where we're going to meet. So when we pray towards this place, hear us, forgive us, listen to what's going on within us. And as their understanding that God is more than just in this space, but is able to be worshiped in this space starts to develop. We see that Solomon continues this expansion of understanding of God, but not really God's intention of the world. In verse 32, the same chapter in Second Chronicles 6, where he says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and prays towards this house here from heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people, Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So the prayer extends not just for the house of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, but now the foreigner who would come from wherever when they come here and pray towards this place, hear them, which brings us back to the understanding where Jesus was and this place that was made for the foreigner to come and worship. This isn't anything new. God told Abraham from the very beginning that through him, all the nations would be blessed in Genesis chapters 18 and 22. 
And we see in Jesus cleansing the temple and the parables of the good Samaritan or the healing of the 10 lepers and only the one who was a Samaritan that comes back or the woman who was again a Gentile who pleads for her her daughter's healing and Jesus says, I can't take the bread that's meant for Israel and give it to the dogs, the Gentiles. And she wins his heart when she says, the dogs will eat the crumbs. And he says, woman, I have not seen faith like yours in all of Israel. We see that God is opening and expanding the borders to reach the world. That it was always his intention that this promise to a man would be extended to out throughout all the world to everybody. And Jesus is starting to break this open and he does it with such zeal. He does it not making any qualms about it. Get rid of this junk. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for everybody. You've made it a den of thieves. As the gospel moves from Jesus to his disciples, it starts to branch out and go out into the rest of the world, leaving Jerusalem, where they start having to interact with other people and other non-Jewish people and dealing with their traditions and the things that they do. And it becomes so chaotic that in Acts chapter 15, they have to call an assembly. And James, the brother of Jesus, who's the pastor there in Jerusalem, has a meeting with Paul and with Peter and with Silas. And they say, what are we going to do about these Gentiles? They need to follow the law. They need to do the things. They need to be circumcised. Verse 19 of chapter 15 of Acts. Therefore, my judgment, this is James speaking, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should not trouble those who turn to God. What does he mean? We should not trouble them. We should not put a burden on them that they don't need to carry. We should not ask them to keep our tradition and laws, including the circumcision. We should not put this burden on them, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So this is what he says. We should not put a burden. Just tell them not to eat meat that's strangled or blood or be involved with sexual immorality or abstain from things polluted by idols. Now, of all the things that are written in the law, it is this handful of things that James sees as prominent at his time. How many of you worried about, are worried about food that is strangled. When you went to Whole Foods, did you ask him if this chicken was strangled or not? Right? It's, it's not something that's a part of our culture or polluted by idols. Do you ask anyone, hey, has this been sacrificed to idols? It's not a part of our culture. And the whole purpose, uh, James was trying to help as well as Paul and Silas is like, we're trying to make it easier, not harder for people to come to know 
who God is as has been seen in the person of Jesus. And all these other things can start to cloud and make fuzzy and, and, and make it difficult. And so Jesus, again, would cleanse any obstacle from anyone coming towards him. These are just to help people not be strayed by what isn't true worship or the character of God. But let's not bring a burden on people. Let's not trouble them. You see, the Pharisees and religious leaders were holding on to power and control, which is why it says they were afraid of Jesus because people hadn't heard anyone talk like this. He was making it too easy to come to God. No, you have to have the right credentials. You have to have the right learning. You have to be in the right place. I I recently heard, well, I read, and then I had to go and watch it or or listen to it because that's how I am, Um, that someone had asked John MacArthur at one of his uh, seminars or conventions that they were doing, um, what he thought about certain people, and he listed off some names. One of the names he mentioned, he says, oh, unqualified. And then they mentioned Beth Moore. What do you think about Beth Moore? And he said, she should go home, right? And it's like, oh, my gosh, right? She should go home. Why? Because she's a woman. She shouldn't teach, right? This other guy should go away because he's not qualified. To who? To you? See, isn't Jesus trying to make the way clear? Isn't he trying to make the way easy? Isn't he trying to remove all these obstacles? And now what, are we going to put up new obstacles? You have to be educated in our schools of learning. You have to fit our criteria. And so they're trying to make things simple because it's already difficult. And Jesus, throughout Matthew 23 especially, he gives out all these woes to the Pharisees, right? These keeping these laws. He says, you go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get them, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. You're hopeless. You religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness, compassion, commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. Carefully, bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from the start to the finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, it says in a more basic translation. This is the message. Fairness, compassion, commitment, mercy, justice. This is what God cares about. I had conversation with a friend who was talking to me about his uh, kid who was involved in a ceremony. I'm trying to be careful so that names are, you know, because you might know these people and I don't want them to think I'm talking about them. Well, I am, but I don't want them to know that 
you know I'm talking about them. And so they're telling me about their kid, and there was an event that we were at, and they were saying that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because my, my kid didn't, you know, really mention a God a lot in this event that they were at. And he goes, but I'm going to have a time where I go up and I get to share, so I'm going to make things, you know, make sure it's clear. And I don't know if he was saying it to me because I'm the pastor, and he thinks I need to hear those kinds of things because that's what happens when people tell people i'm a pastor all of a sudden the conversation gets to weird anyway it just he started telling me these kinds of things and i said you know what your kid is a good kid i don't know many children that have the character that your child has and this was the passage that came to mind you know oh people might strain and say they don't quote bible and verse but the weightier things that matter like fairness, like justice, like commitment, I see in your kids. So don't be too hard on them because they're a good kid. And give room for God to work because he is. That's why your kid is such a good kid. And he thanked me and I'm thankful that his his, Time and his prayer didn't go weird, right? It didn't go, you know, it's like, I've got to make a point here because I've been in that place. I've done that. I've got to make sure everyone knows about Jesus through my two-minute prayer that turns into a five-minute preaching sermon, right? And everyone's like, thought we were just going to eat, but I guess not. You know, what's going on here? And so we want to help people see the truth without all the obstacles, without putting these little laws and you have to do it this way and you have to go to this school and you have to have this education and you have to, you have to, you have to. And Jesus is cleansing the temple, but we keep filling it back up with stuff. And so that we need to start being aware. I don't want to clutter what God is trying to clear. So in Acts, when Peter has the vision and then goes to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And God tells Peter, don't call what I have cleaned unclean. Don't put your judgment on people that I am working on. But they don't eat the right food. They don't go to temple. They don't do, they don't quote the scriptures. They don't do all these things. And it's all clutter getting in the way of what God is doing if we hold on to those things. In Acts chapter 17, I don't think I've taught it in a while, but I used to, I mean, it's one of my favorite chapters where Paul goes to Athens and it says that he would meet in the synagogues and then daily in the marketplace that he would meet out there daily, right? And it was something where it says that he met out there daily and got to just talk with the people. And it's an amazing thing to see Paul spending one day in the temple, the synagogue, and the rest of the time being in the marketplace that he did every day talking with people. There's so much importance there. How much do we spend talking to people? Right? We, we've talked about this a lot. We, we tend to isolate. 
Some of you are better at it than others. Some of you are just outgoing. You can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. And then there's people like me that are a little introverted. I need to talk to all of you together. But one-on-one, it's a little harder for me. I feel a little bit more awkward. You know, people always think, well, you talk to so many people, you know, all the time. I, it's, this is less personal, not more personal, right? You could talk to people one-on-one. That's more personal. That's, that's the challenge. And that's what Paul was doing throughout the synagogues, right? Verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Those who happened to be there. It it wasn't strategic. It wasn't like, I've got to go and do these things. It was those who happened to be there. He struck up a conversation. I love this quote by Bob Goff in his book, Love Does. He says that, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. Those who happen to be there. I used to want to fix people. I used to want to tell people what they needed. Now I just want to be with them. And I find that that changes how we interact with people. And that's what we want is to make opportunities where we can be with people. You see, as Paul is talking to the people in Athens, the word gets around and they say, hey, this guy is saying something. How did the word get around? Because he talked to whoever he happened to be there. That pretty soon all the big names wanted to hear him. He didn't go trying to get the ear of all the big names. He went talking to everyone who happened to be there. And then they heard. And then they brought him and he had that amazing talk at the Areopagus. It's amazing for a number of reasons. It's amazing because Paul takes his knowledge of God through the scripture and presents it to these Gentiles, but he never uses the scriptures. He instead quotes their prophets. Verse 28, it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's probably from Epimedians of Crete. That's where we believe that quote is from. It's not from the Bible, but they knew where it was from. And we also are his offspring, which is a poem by Aratus, something like that. He takes their scripture and he changes the context. Why? Because he's trying to clear a path so that they can see more clearly who God is, so that they can know who God is and that God is extending himself to them. Him, this God, you live and move and have your being. He, he's closer to you than you even know we are of his offspring. And, and as he, he speaks to them, they, they have this ridicule when he talks about Jesus rising from the dead. They're like, ah, resurrection. Oh, you're out there, but we'll hear you again. And what's amazing is in verse 33, Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Dionysius, their name means God of wine. 
one of the people who believed had the name God of Wine. Hey, what's your name, God of Wine? Now imagine God of Wine going into the synagogue. We can't have God of Wine in this. That's blasphemous. But you see, in this gospel, there is room for God of Wine. In this gospel, there is room for people who don't fit in anywhere else. And the reason we are doing the things that we are doing at our building, having the paint classes, having Pilates classes, having philosophy classes, having yoga classes, having what other classes we may have there. And if you've got ideas and desires, let's have them understand this. The the reason is so that you can have a seat next to God of wine and be painting with them so that you can be in the marketplace with whoever happens to be there and develop relationships with the people around you in a place that is free of obstacles. I had one person said, I didn't know this was a church. And I was like, Yes, that's a good thing, right? Why? Because if you knew it was a church, you probably wouldn't come. And if you knew it was a church, it might change how you step into this place with the ideas that you had. I just thought this was a center. I thought you were the guy who ran this you know, business that was doing different things. I didn't know you were a pastor. It's like, well, who told you I was, right? They, I'm going to chastise them for it later. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, I don't want to put obstacles in the way of a conversation. But now I have a relationship and the conversation continues. You see, they know I'm a pastor, but I've already got a friendship. And so now they are coming and I'm having great conversations with them that are even deeper. And so these spaces are for you and me to come and meet with people on an everyday plane, to have interaction with people who you might not interact with. It's to make a space where you can do something that opens that conversation with other people to happen. So that coming into our class, we have John and we have Matthew, and we have Sarah, and we have God of Wine. Because God of Wine needs a seat at this table. And I will clear out everything that is in the way of them getting to the table. Because that's what my Savior does. That's what my Jesus does. Isn't that what we want to do? And then we we step into this conversation with humility. Not, I'm going to say a prayer and tell them about God now. You watched what this prayer is. They didn't mention God, but I'm going to mention God. It's like, oh, wait a second, wait a second. You don't see God working? Before you come and blast people, let's see what's happening. 
You know, when Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, don't take shoes, don't take a purse or a wallet with you. Why? Go in need. You need them to care for you. Go with that attitude. Go with that humility. Not with, I've got something to tell you guys. Go with, hey, can you help me out? Because now the door is open. You're in the right attitude. You're in the right frame of mind. I did not come to Lord over, but I came to serve. And if I am your Lord and I serve you, what are you supposed to do? Oh my gosh, what would happen if we had that mentality? So it's in that mentality that we are moving forward to this space. This building is going to be a place where we can serve people. We can serve them in conversation. We can serve them in loving them. Talking with one person and they started opening up to us. They're actually helping us with painting. They don't go to church. Let's call their name God of Wine. God of Wine came to help paint at the new space and started opening up about their life and telling all the things that have been happening in their life. And it was incredible. See, I never would have known that about them. But this space brought connection. It brought community. And that's why we are doing it. And that's why when we have a class, you're invited. Well, I don't really, you know, paint. Well, you can sit next to God of Wine and get to know them. And if God of wine brings a bottle of wine, don't get bent out of shape, okay? And you can go to this workshop on philosophy and critical thinking, and you can have conversations. And if they don't quote Bible verses, don't think that God isn't there, isn't working, and that you can't have a conversation. That's why we are doing this. And I know all of you here, so I know this is family. I'm talking to family right now. This is an opportunity for us to step into deeper and more conversation. And so I pray that you would. And if you have ideas, oh, I want to do a class on, you know, especially with Christmas coming up, on decorating. Oh, great. Let's do a class on decorating. Let's see how we can make this function and get however many people we can who don't come to Genesis to be a part of something that's more. And let's start making the way clear so that they can see God clearly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for his heart. And Lord, it is my desire to have the same heart and the things that I see in scripture, the things that I'm reading and I'm believing, Lord, these are how you're speaking to me and to us. God, I pray that we'd be faithful and step into these things, that we would put aside the lesser things, the things that don't matter, maybe some regulations that we've hold on, been holding on to, some traditions that we can let go of, and we would take the weightier things, the, the mercy, the justice, Lord, these things, the faithfulness, and allow them to be the things that drive us forward with your heart, your care, and your love. 
I pray for everyone who is here, a part of Genesis, Lord, that we would be part of this movement that you're doing, that we would grow in these areas. Help us, Lord, to learn how to communicate effectively, Lord, clearly. And let's not try and win people, Lord. Let's try and be friends. Let's stop trying to fix people and start being with people And allow the spirit who dwells in us, the the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, to bring life into our bodies and life into our conversations and your life into their lives, God. I'm grateful for the people here this morning and I am grateful for all the things that you have done in our community throughout these years. And Lord, we pray you continue to work. We pray we continue to be molded in your image and flexible, Lord, moldable, if that's even a word, Lord, so that you can do in us and through us what you need to do. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. We love you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. I'd like to ask all of you uh, this morning to join me in praying for my mom. Tuesday, she goes in to have a scan to see what's happening with the cancer in her body. And then Wednesday, we see the doctors. And So if you're around her, if you can gently lay hands on her. And join me in prayer. Father, I pray that you bring health, strength, healing to my mom. Lord, that you remove the cancer, shrink the tumors, relieve the pain, discomfort. Help her body to heal. Help her strength to come back. And we pray for your touch on her life in every way I pray for strength not only for her but for Bob for my wife and all those who are caring for her for my Auntie Rose and the friends who've come alongside her Lord to assist Lord we love her and we lift her to you as we know you love her and pray you show mercy and grace on her life Lord we ask it in Jesus name you know I'm always reminded about the things that are important and it's not the buildings it's the people buildings are only so that we can show God's love to people that's what it's about and so I pray we would keep that focus may the Lord bless and keep you as your heart is conformed to be like Jesus God bless you guys have a great day You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.